This is Inside the Writer's Head. In this podcast, you can expect conversations with writers, book lovers, and creatives of all kinds. I am your host, Manuel Iris, the Library Foundation and Cincinnati and Hamilton County Writer-in-Residence for 2023. The Library Foundation Writers-in-Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. This is my inaugural episode as the host of this podcast. It is the month of February too, and I am taking that as the reason why I decided to have two brilliant guests to have a conversation with about Black History Month and love. My first guest is Mo Poetry Phillips. She's a nationally spoken word artist who graduated from Northern Kentucky University in 2011 with a Bachelor's of Arts in English. She is both the co-founder of Regal Rhythms Poetry LLC and founder of Hit the Mic Cincy Open Mic. Her works have been published with WordPress, Gosh Publishing, and The Voices Project, along with her self-published book, Equals Greatness. She facilitates weekly writing circles, empowerment workshops, summer camps, and events within school, colleges, corporations, jails, and prison systems to use her creativity to make learning fun and engaging. Also, she curates, recruits artists, and creates empowerment and educational workshops. As a Middlesbrough, Kentucky native, she is part of the Urban Appalachian Community Coalition. She is currently serving on the Juneteenth Committee in the Board of Kids for Peace and the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee for Women Writing for a Change, where she previously served as a board member for two years. Mo Poetry Phillips has been highlighted in Cincinnati Inquired, Cincinnati Herald, Street Vibes, Urban Radio, WCVG, and WVXU Cincinnati Edition. Her passion is to unify spoken word artists to utilize their artistry to create a greater impact within the community. And I can tell you personally that if you are a spoken word artist in Cincinnati, you know more poetry films. It's absolutely impossible to be in that environment in the city without crossing paths with more poetry films. She is also a community builder. She's a leader. She is very important in this part of uh, the cultural life of Cincinnati. And it is a complete honor to have you with us, Mo. How are Thank you? you. It's an honor to be here. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. My next guest is Yaeli Sawida Kamara. She is a Sierra Leone and American writer, educator, and researcher from Oakland, California. She was selected as the 2022-2023 Cincinnati and Mercantile Library Poet Laureate. This is a two-year term. She is the editor of the anthology, What You Need to Know About Me, Young Writers on Their Experience of Immigration, published by the Hawkins Project in 2022. And she's the author of a brief biography of my name, published in 2018, and When the Living Sing, published in 2017. Kamara has been finalist of the National Poetry Series competition of the Brunel International African Poetry Prize and a semifinalist for the Cave Cannon Poetry Prize. She earned a PhD in creative writing and English literature from the University of Cincinnati, an MFA in creative writing from Indiana University Bloomington, and an MA in French culture and civilization from Middlebury College. Yaley resides in Cincinnati, where she works as the Director of Creative Youth Leadership at Workplace Cincy and is an adjunct assistant professor at the University of Cincinnati. If you want to know more about this author, 
please visit her website at www.yelala.com. I can also say that I can count both of these authors as my friends. And in particular with Yaley, I can say that the admiration for her poetry, in my case, is sincere and honest, and I have, I am a reader of her books. And speaking of reading, well, Yaley, how are you? I'm doing so well, feeling very honored to be here with you both. Thank you. I am, speaking of reading, I want to start the conversation by reading this poem, which is one of the most read poems during uh, Black History Month every year. It's called I, uh, I Too, and it was written by Langston Hughes and published almost a hundred years ago, 1926. The poem says, I too sing America. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes, but I laugh and eat well and grow strong. Tomorrow, I will be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare to say to me, eat in the kitchen, then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. I, too, am America. Beautiful and painful poem. What of this poem it is current in 2023? This poem was written in 1926, almost a hundred years ago. Why this poem resounds so current? Any of you poets? For me, it's just, it's resounding and it just keeps speaking year after year after year. The part about uh, eat in the kitchen when company comes, it just really reminds me that even then and still today, there's a time when we can be invited into spaces, but there's a roadblock there also. So you can get so far. He can eat in the kitchen sometimes, but when company comes, I mean, he's, you know, he's sent away when company comes. Yeah. And it's just, it's sad, but that's what still happens today is that a lot of times there's these barriers. There's barriers even with publishing. There's barriers as an artist that you have to get over. You know, we're still becoming a lot of our first are still happening in the black and brown communities. And it just is still ringing true 100 years later. Really? I absolutely agree with everything that my poetry said. I think the part that um, really gets to me is just a singular word tomorrow. And in thinking about how there is, you know, Langston Hughes didn't say tomorrow is going to be 1927 or that it would be 2023. And in a lot of ways, we're still waiting for that tomorrow. And we're still moving towards that future where, where there have been strides made um, to be to sit at the table. There have been the drawbacks and the deficits of being tucked into the kitchen as well. And so I think that his poem shows that in a lot of ways, we take two steps forward and one step back. Um, but there are also ways of thinking about, I think our, our our presences do speak of America as well. Just as he said, we are part of the American story yes. and, and just so integral to the, the fabric of the culture. And so thinking about um, how do you treat, um, how do you treat 
such precious humanity with such disregard, I think is a part of the shame too that that resonates with me. Um, and I think in all of this too, the last thing I'd add is in this poem, you see that he, in spite of how he's treated, he doesn't lose his own beauty. And I think that that is something that um, resonates with me too, is that we still possess a dignity in spite of um, how the world may treat us. It doesn't mean that we have to treat ourselves or regard ourselves in that same way. Yeah, the affirmation of the self is is important. You know, now that, that you say that one word tomorrow, I realize that it is it is a whole verse. The second stanza, the, the first verse of the second stanza is only one word. It's just tomorrow. The importance of that tomorrow is there. But we wish it wasn't tomorrow. We we I when I read this poem, I wish this poem was talking about the past experience. I wish this poem was an archaeological experience. You know, when when this used to happen. I, I think, and, and and I would like to know what you guys think about this, but sometimes I think that the kitchen is not a, a space anymore, but a role. You know, is uh, sometimes I feel that we are in, I don't know, in academia, we are in, in education, we are in the artistic environment, but we are asked to perform as the, as the, as the black one as the Latino one, as the brown person, um, and talk about those subjects and try to not, and every time that someone uh, asks, for example, how many times have I been asked uh, my opinion as a Hispanic poet and not just as a poet? You know, is uh, we're going to talk about poetry, but when it comes to you, you're going to talk about this one section of, of the human experience. You are going to talk about this only. And I, and I feel sometimes that that is, that is a kitchen when the company comes. When the company comes, he's not an intellectual. He's a black intellectual. When the company comes, this is not a writer. It's a black writer. You know, have you, have you guys experienced this or am I making up stories <laughs> in, my, in my head? Mo, what do you think? I've definitely experienced this. Um, <laughs> Yes, yes. I've to the point where I've been the first person, um, and I don't want to give very specifics, but the first person to be certified in a certain way in a company that was African American in their first like thirty over thirty year history. So to to carry that burden, um, to think about wow, why did it take that long? for that to happen, um, you know, and to still be connected and, and trying to promote and looking at the diversity, equity and inclusion model and all of that, it just, it's it's heartbreaking sometimes because I, I do feel that burden of just always being that voice of, okay, I can't just come in as a poet, but I'm coming in as an African-American poet and an Afro-Latin poet that, you know, so yeah, mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. Really. I agree with that, that there are, are ways that um, there are particular questions or very, very kind of stringent demands or, or, yeah, requests about how to show up in a space. And I think um, what's been helpful to me is, is to say I am this and I'm a lot of other things and to show up in that way and show that, that you can't actually extricate these things from me. These are all different parts of my identity. And so, and they also animate different interests that I have. And so if I'm going to talk about 
one thing I'll show you that it is tied to some other things. And so it's, it's, it's a whole ecosystem of thoughts and I can't be sort of collapse into different pieces. And I think that's taken time and that still takes work to, to not be because sometimes these requests are slick um, and they, and they happen in, in uh, uh, ways that aren't <laughs> easily detectable as being such. And so it's just to um, be vigilant and to not honor the work that I've done to study these things and the work I've done to understand the world around me and to give reverence to just the work that so many of us are doing by entering fully in a space. Then uh, this takes me to my, my next question. Is it possible to be a black artist today in America without somehow becoming an activist, whether you want it or not? because you are representing some people and you're representing some ideas. It's like showing up is a, is a political stand, you know, even, even if you don't want to, you know. Uh, is, it, is it possible to be a Black artist today without being a Black activist, without being an activist? And then how do we embrace, you know, this identity and this, and this activism that, 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 that you guys do or people perceive that you do? Really? I've been thinking about this for a few days. Um, maybe slash my whole life. Um, <laughs> I, uh, there is, I, I don't know who the writer that said this was. I heard it many years ago, but it was um, every single time I leave my house, it's a political act. And so even, you know, this even, this precludes writing or the creation of, of um, art, it's just even stepping outside of your house. We do take on these, we are politicized as soon as we enter a space or as soon as we leave a space. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't quite know how to answer that question. Um, I think if activist means endeavoring towards freedom, then yes. I think that like the act of, of creating is always endeavoring towards that sort of freedom. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like I think I feel comfortable answering that. I also think about like, what does it mean to be an activist? There are a bunch of different ways yeah. of being an activist. And so I think that if we can honor all those ways and maybe it doesn't look like we're particularly writing about things that that may seem like they squarely fit into an activist mode, but I think to, um, okay, I think I do have my answer. I mean to 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 write and to create in uh, a country that is predicated on a lot of different types of violences and violences that are institutionalized. Walking down the street, things you find in classrooms, things you find things you find in artistic spaces to show up. I think, in spite of all that, um, and not only to those violent spaces, but to show up in spaces that embrace and love you. I think that's that's a, a political act. I think it is an activist endeavor to. Um, to sort of create in a country that's had a long and contentious history with one's existence. Yeah. Well, what do you think? I've been back and forth with this thought as well. For me, it's not possible because I'm like a sponge, I absorb. And that's my motivation for writing a lot of times. So if something's going on in my community or even just one-on-one -on -one and I'm speaking with someone, um, there's always this underlining, you know, it's, it's forming in my mind. It's, it's coming through in my writing. So I think if if so, it would be very, very hard 
they would just have to be totally just deaf to everything and blind to everything that is going on around them, you know, in the news and the community and our families and just living day to day. But, yeah. Especially when, when when I think about you, Mo, especially uh, in the environment of spoken word poetry, right? Spoken word for what I have experienced here in Cincinnati is even more political, is even more discussing of these racial issues and et cetera, that, that other kinds of poetry. And, and even the interaction with the audience and the venues and the way that everything is, um, uh, you know, it's almost a grassroots movement all the time. You don't yeah. see these big sponsorships from from uh, foundations or et cetera. Sometimes there are, but it's mostly made for and by uh, the community. And and those those events are are very powerful in that mm -hmm. in that regard in that in that character. Um, do you think that? spoken word in particular is even more tied to these discussions, at least in Cincinnati? I do. It's just the, the nature of it in itself. You know, it's when it's in print, I think it's just different when you're a page poet. But when you are up and you're performing and, you know, you may have just written it that morning, maybe brand new and you want to just bring it to the stage and you're hitting the mic, as we say, uh -huh. and just going on the mic and just going on those raw emotions. You're just you're just getting it out. And there's so much more there than when you have to think about, OK, now this is a book. This is this is being published. This is, you know, it, what is the purpose of the book? Who's my target audience? What what am I doing with this particular piece of work here? But yeah, we are very involved in um, social justice you hear it just over and over again. I love how we take a stand. I really do. Now, I think this is a good segue for uh, the next question that I want to ask you both. Um, I arrived to Cincinnati in 2008. And when I arrived to the city, I didn't perceive the city the way I perceive it now. It was I heard of you know of Cincinnati as a, as a city with with some sort of racial segregation that it is easy to know who lives where and who hangs out with whom and as a student in the University of Cincinnati I would see um, very few black students in school in the in, in the classrooms but then when I took the bus to go downtown. Everybody in the bus, well, almost everybody was black. So in the city, there, there are so many uh, African-American people in the city, but not that many in the classroom. I started realizing those things. Um, and then I started involving myself in the city as a, as a writer. And I also saw those different spaces. But I want to ask both of you. What has been your experience as an artist in Cincinnati and how this experience do you think that has been defined by race? Would it be different if it was another city? It will definitely be different if it was a different race, I think. 
but how how do you experience Cincinnati as a as a black woman? As an artist that is also a black woman. Uh, Mo? It's kind of mirrored my professional career um, before being a poet full time. I, so I just like you said, I saw myself even in profession out there. And a lot of times I was the only black woman there or um, it just and growing up here because I'll, I'll be 49 soon. So I've had some time here and time to see things progress and not progress as much as they need to. But when, as when did you get here from Kentucky? I, six months old, I was brought here. So okay, my so ties you, are back home yeah. and I would commute. But yes, I've been here all my life. Okay. And just seeing, just growing up and being very young and having those first jobs, being very into corporate America and seeing how things were structured. It's the same way even in art. Uh, I do see when we get together, something awesome happens, but there's still some segregation there. Like, I, we believe in, you know, just cultural, just just get out there and let's just blend in with everybody. I tell people purposely, if you've never been into an all white open mic or somewhere that's not as diverse, walk in there, <laughs> walk in there and read your stuff and, and you know, just commune with everybody. <laughs> just purposely go out. Uh, but for some that have not, it can be very sheltering still, because if you're not at the college level where there's more things going on or um, and you're just going to neighborhood open mics or, or different things like that, you're not being exposed to everything. And we're very different. We're not like Chicago. We're not like, you know, some of the bigger cities or you go to New York. But in a way, we have a good foundation if we can just really just start co-programming and coming together and sharing. And, and that's what I, that's what Regal Rhythms Poetry is all about. That's what we've been looking to find. Like we're, that's why I sit on a board of a few things. I'm in the Jewish community. A lot of people don't even realize that. I'm, I sit down with teenager and gauger uh, brunch and it's all Jewish led people there, but I want to know what they're doing. They want to know what we're doing. And we want to do things together. And that's what we have to do to really uh, get to where we need to be in our artistry and in our own personal lives. Because the more interaction we have, the first time I met you, I was like, I love him. Oh, my goodness. He's family. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just as soon as you meet someone and you have those ties. Um, yeah. And that's what you have to look for across the board. Thank you. Mom. Thank, Thank you. you. What an interesting answer. Because of the three of us, you you are the one born and raised in well, born, but raised in Cincinnati. Um, Yaley, what is your experience of Cincinnati? Now that you are the poet laureate of the city, nonetheless, you represent the city. For yeah. Uh, my experience has been, I think before the the poet laureate title has been interesting. Um, while I was a student at UC doing my PhD, I was also working with wordplay. So my sort of entree into um, creative communities was with the youth of Cincinnati. And so that's been really interesting that the, to see um, the hunger and excitement that young people have in the city for poetry um, and getting an opportunity to work with specifically 
well, with different groups of young people, but I think one of my longest sustained relationships has been with the EFL, ESL students at Aiken High School. Mm. And so, um, and I have a heart for all students, but um, as a first-generation American, I'm so interested in the stories of, of folks that have immigrated and migrated. And so um, I am a Black artist. I'm also a first-generation American. I'm Sierra Leonean American. And so um, there's different ways that I'm, I think I'm, I'm entering this space or seeing different opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what is further adding to that now I work at Wordplay and I'm also the poet laureate is seeing all the different communities here and the opportunity to interact with a lot of different communities. Um, and something that's been mentioned that I would echo is that there's a lot of, I think, potential for collaboration and for more uh, integrated sort of spaces. And I think um, there are and also the opportunity to hear different concerns, hopes, dreams, aspirations that exist um, between these different communities. And oftentimes they're rooted in the same sort of desire at the very base of our humanity. I would say for me as an artist um, in Cincinnati, it's been, it's this is a city, I think that there's space to experiment. And I think because of the size of the city and um, I feel like there's a, a little bit of wiggle room for for experimentation here that I don't think I've seen in other bigger cities. And so there's ways of of starting projects, and there are um there's opportunities to 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 kind of dream and, and experiment with things in ways that I have not seen in other cities. And so to be able to say, hey, I think I want to do a collaborative poem with different people between Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati, yes. and maybe you can put it up at blink, you know, to have that idea and be like, oh, whoa, now I got to do it. <laughs> Because everybody's like, yeah, let's let's do it. You know, that was awesome to think about that, to conceive and to see it through and to have support along the way and to have folks that are so interested in wanting to share their dreams and ideas. And I think there's an incredible hunger here for um, people wanting to create and wanting to share that. And so um, I think for me, I see the city as a city of experimentation. I think it's a city that has incredible um, diversity in terms of um, even the great migration, a bunch of people, how they end up here, yes. you know, from the South to Ohio and thinking about the rich legacies of black folks, you know, and the stories uh, on the Ohio river and beyond the Ohio river, as well as this city for the last almost 200 years being um, a central place. And one that hasn't actually been talked about enough, I don't think for, um, for immigrants to be here, I think is something yes. that's really important to honor all these different, um, I mean, it's, it's in the culture of Cincinnati. Graders is an immigrant story. Skyline is an immigrant story. You know what I mean? Like all sorts of things here, food here, get a, uh, all the amazing soul food in the city. That's a migrant story. These are all stories that are predicated on movement to this. Diners. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that um, for me on my best day, I think that Cincinnati is a place um, where dreams can come true. We just all have to believe a little bit more in the possibility of that. Yes, it, I I also think that Cincinnati is a it's a very interesting city as a, as a migrant myself. Um, I think that it's a city that can be at the same time very generous and sometimes um, very difficult to understand and to grasp. Um, but it is definitely a city that I don't hesitate in calling home. I do think that it's a place that you can call home and, and it can become a home for anyone who loves it back. Um and when we when we when we love when we create, um 
sometimes, and this is this is a question that I ask you both because sometimes I have asked this question to myself, especially when I started living in the United States. This is not a question that I asked myself when I was about in Mexico. But now here living in the United States, I have asked this question to me, and I wonder if this is if this is something that happens just for being in America. When you guys write and perform, do you think as yourself, as a black artist, as an artist of color, do you even think about these things when you're creating? Or you just create and then someone else tells you, oh yes, this is the poem of a black poet. Like, is that in the conception of the poem? Or is that sometimes the reading that someone makes of what you do because they know who made it? Mo, what has been your experience with this? It's funny because I have a poem that's, uh, I'm not a black author is the title. But when I saw this question, I was like, no, I, I really do carry that. I, I'm, you know, I'm secure in my identity. I carry that with me. That's that's part of who I am. And it's part of who I want other people to see that I am. I, I, I need the dialect. I need the unorthodox form when I'm doing poetry. You know, I, I know what school taught me. So don't, don't come <laughs> trying to tell me, oh, this should be a stanza and this should be four right here and four. And, you know, you should do this. And I know all that, but I'm going to break every single rule because that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to show that you can have the knowledge, but you can also just step outside of the box and just be unique um, in your approach. And I, I believe that's really what, what it is for me, for being a black artist. I want you to see my poem. Like she did that. How did she, <laughs> how, why she's using semicolons and it should be a comma, you know, just whatever she's in the dash and it shouldn't be. That's good. And I like that. We can do that. So not that's my encouragement for everybody else. Be unique. <laughs> so it's also a, a, a call of freedom, you know. Yes. Stand for, for for freedom yes. of your own creative space. Yes. Exactly. Beautiful, because your answer to this question goes. Is 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 is. is, is I was framing the question as you know the identity can be the cage. And you just told me that identity is a freedom. You know, mm. I guess I guess that it depends of how do we look at how do we look at yes. this. You know, yes. Yaley, what is your take on this? Absolutely. It's like be careful if you call me a black artist because you're telling me I'm infinite. I I just I don't see it as <laughs> I think uh there are ways that it, it is meant to feel limiting to call someone by a, a yes. particular identity piece. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like the the history and the legacies of the diaspora speak to genius. They speak to survivance. They speak to innovation. They speak to um, this like steadfast will to see the future. And they also it also acknowledges pain. And it also acknowledges joy and the rigor and discipline of joy and subversion and just all these really brilliant things that are born out of knowledge of, of of self and, and self-possession. And so I don't see it as a limiting thing. And and I echo exactly what you're saying, Mo Poetry, about um 
you you know the rules and you break them. It's subversion. Yes. So much of it is subversion. So much of it is is trying new things out. And so you know, but when I I think about it, yes, I, I like I carry my black body with me everywhere that I go, and I, mm-hmm. I carry it with with joy, even though it it is a marker of peril at times and being a woman as well. But like I'm a black artist. I'm also my mother's daughter. I'm also that. You know what I mean? I'm also yes. like a a a fan of. Well, I, I think we're in, I think I can say it here. I'm a Golden State Warrior. So I'm from Oakland. You know what I mean? And there's all these things that I am and that um that are all nested within my black artistry. It's not one thing and we're not a monolith. Black you you will never find two black artists that, that are the same artist by virtue yes, of their lens, their experience, what they what they want to bring into relief or what they want to surface as a message or, or different messages. And I think we're always Black artistry is always plurivocal. There's always different voices um, that are represented. So I, I, I don't. I think that again, that thing about how you come into a room and what you're bringing to a room and what is expected of you versus what you carry and what you want to bring. And I think that that term, and I think that we're seeing that more and more. There's a reclamation, and and that term is one that serves to be a point of departure and not necessarily a point of arrival. Thank you. Thank you. For me, because I I was already not a full adult. I was 20-something when I came here. And all of these race issues were somehow, somehow new to me. I It was the first time that someone used the, the word Mexican to define my poetry, you know, before I play my name and things like that. And I remember that at the beginning, I rejected the label, and then I embraced it, uh, closer to what Mo Poetry was saying, you know. It was like, no, it it is this, and I am claiming this, and what I'm going to do now is to claim this so I can define it. Instead of taking it as a label that comes from the outside, I am going to claim it, and then I'm going to say what it means, you know, and and... I, when I talk to, to to artists like you, I realize that a lot of the of the struggle that we're talking about um, is not different uh, from 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 one minority to another. Of course, there are specificities in them, um, but claiming your own identity is always in the center of of this struggle. Um, and speaking of that, of, of the difficulty that sometimes in the midst of our joy too, we find on making our work. I want to ask, because when we talk about Black History Month, um, we have to talk about the present. It is, it is not only you know the, the 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 black history from uh, the past of this nation, but also a reflection of what is happening now. What is the living history? What is what is being written now? What is being read? What which books are being censored? All of that. What is happening right now? Sometimes, and I must confess, I am in danger of falling into complete despair when I read the news. Um, today I was listening an author say that 
he's sick of people asking him to give them hope. What do you want me to give you hope? He says, well, the idea, and this is a Tanehasi quotes. He said, well, the idea of, of literature is, is to give enlightenment, not necessarily hope. I am not there. I am not writing books for you to feel better. I'm writing books for you to know more, for you to understand more. And then you decide what to do with that, you know. But sometimes I, I find difficult even to sit down and write in the midst of all of the things that I see happening. And I find my reasons to write, to continue this despite of the despair. And my students, and my family, like I have to keep going because if I, 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 I cannot just let it there. But I want to know for you, how does a black or artist in America keeps going despite the despair? How do you get to respond with beauty to all of this? How do you manage? Mo? For me, the self-care <laughs> that I have to, to be careful with, and also I'm a, I'm a very big advocate for mental health. Um, you know, checking in on your mental health and what space and, and where you are. Uh, you, you just really have to take time away to deal with what you're feeling. You may need to sit with your emotions for a while. You may need to be silent for a minute. You may need to do like a fast write and just write and just whatever comes, comes for four minutes or whatever and just get something on the page so that you can see what your heart is really dealing with and starting to form words around those feelings and emotions. But you just have to keep going for yourself. For me, it's, it's healing on paper. It's therapy on paper. So if I can eventually get to where I'm writing it out and I'm just totally silent in it, it won't be good for me here. So I, I have to, I have to watch for that. I have to just keep going, get it out, no matter what. Thank you. Well, thank you. Gailey. I feel like I have a lot of answers to this question. Um, I think for me, something that's really important to me is my faith. And I and for me, I think that's something that keeps me going. I understand what what God's given me. And I understand the the task at hand. I also know that God wants me to rest too sometimes. And so I understand that as well. And part of that story is who I come from, from the lineage of people I come from. My family and my mother's side of the family is Creole, free enslaved peoples that were returned to um, Sierra Leone. Returned. We don't know where we actually come from. Creoles didn't exist before slavery. But Sierra Leone and Creoles didn't exist before slavery. But thinking about my grandmother, who was a genius, was only able to get to the sixth grade because of circumstances and because of gendered expectations, and someone who had an incredible capacity for language but could not move in a particular way because of circumstance. And to think about what my mother 
um, what she sacrificed, was, there's no other word to put it, what she sacrificed for my sisters and I, um, is thinking about that and how she's she's my muse and she, she there's so much, um, oh, it's really getting to me, so much about where I come from that I want to honor and my family. And so that keeps me going. And it's not just that, but it's the words of encouragement from around me um, that keep me going. And I also know that to Mopochi, to your point about self-care, like there are points where you have to stop. We, we're not machines. We should not be treated like machines. We should not be expected to work like mm -hmm. machines. And I remember writing a poem about a woman, um, Nia Wilson, who was murdered in Oakland, California. And I was writing about her over the course of a writing conference. And I wrote three poems about her. And I realized by the first day I was dressed my normal self going to workshop, the next day um, I had no makeup on and by the third day I was wearing all black and I was embodying grief writing about her and I was feel like I was performing some sort of um reburial of her and I was like I can't write any more poems about her it's doing something to me it's taking me to a place that I don't need to be but that doesn't mean that before that happened I didn't have an opportunity to honor yes. her and I think the last thing I want to say about this too is um um, what keeps me going is I, I write because like there, I just, I see a lot of blessings in a lot of places around me. Um, and I, I have a lot that I want to express and I've, I've been, I've had the opportunity to be around stories that I want to share. And I also, there's, there's a curiosity that I'm trying to understand. And, and part of what keeps me going is the more I write, the more I'm in dialogue with the world around me, with other writers, with other people that are yet to know that they are writers. Um, other people that have things to teach me. And I think that keeps me connected to the world and that um, reinvigorates my humanity. Thank you, Ailey. In, in the way that I'm listening to the answers that the three of us have given, um, I see that Ailey uh, talks about her ancestors pushing and being a reason. Mo, based in the present, talks about the right now, self-care, making a, a quick right, dealing with what is happening now to respond also from the now. And I mentioned my family, but I'm really talking about my daughter and saying, you know, be, I want to I want to fix the world for her to inhabit it, you know, so we can find in the past, in the present, in the present and in the future, the reasons to continue. Um, because there are all of them. And I think that the three answers have a, a one single root, which is love. There is the love for yourself and for your ancestors and for those that come after you, um, which is what we were looking for, you know, in, in this intersection of February, you know, uh, with Black History Month and love, because I think that it's impossible to talk about any social struggle or, or, or any social justice without talking about love, understood as, as this larger love uh, that encompass humanity and the humanity of, of everybody. Um, 
I think this is the perfect moment to ask each one of you to read a piece of your work. Um, can we start with you, Mo? All right, thank you. So I'm, I'm glad that you opened up with I Too Am America. Absolutely. I have a, yes, I love that. That's one of my favorites by Langston Hughes. And I actually wrote one that's I Too Am America 2019. So several years ago, but just imagine these things were actively going on at the time. These were news headlines. This was not something from the 60s that I'm talking about. This was the right now. And we could do an I2M America 2023, and we would have a lot more to write about. But this is, this is the poem. I swim in swimming pools. I don't have to be beaten and run off. That's last half a century's rules. I don't have to be stopped at the gated community, asked to see my keys as if where I'm going, I couldn't afford the rent or they would never give a house to me. I too am America. Since when were restaurants resegregated? Now I have to debate, is it safe? Drinking coffee before ordering my plate while I'm waiting on friends who are running late. Will they call the police? Will they make me leave? Are they waiting on an excuse to take my freedom away from me? I too am America. My sons and daughters aren't a threat, running around like rabbit dogs. They aren't deer in a field during deer hunting season. You don't have to pursue them, then shoot them. Claiming fear for your life was the reason. I too am America. I'll go to sleep tonight, covered in the Constitution, curled up reading my Emancipation Proclamation, wondering when something will be written that will make me part of this nation. I too am America. Yeah. Thank you, Mo. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yaley, you read us a piece of your work, please. Absolutely. So figuring out what piece I was going to read. And I thought that I'd read a piece that honors um, my oldest friend on earth who passed away last year. And she's someone who I'd known since I was eight years old. And um, being a first generation American, she's someone that taught me so much about Black culture in America and Blackness in America in a way that um, impacted so much of my life and my identity and um, she was also an incredible cheerleader of my writing for a very long time. And so this is a piece that I wrote to honor her. It's simply called Chanel. And the epigraph reads, she is a friend of my mind. She gathered me man. The pieces I am, she gathered them and give them back to me in all the right order. And that's from Toni Morrison's Beloved. I had a vision the other day, my sister, in which I saw God's countenance shine against yours, and now I know the color in which holy gleams upon a Black woman's face. It is an unrelenting amber and bronze, an illumination that neither dulls with the passing of days nor the stirring of grief. My sister, you were beaming, expressing to the divine something that I could not hear but made you grin, bearing the majesty of your gap-toothed smile, my sister. For a moment, I felt peace. 
The pain of loss unknotted itself from my windpipe because I trusted what I saw to be true. My sister, that sweet fistful of seconds was a glimpse into the making of miracle, a snapshot into the work of an angel conspiring to save us all. Who knows the types of goodness that will vector from your hands as you co-work from the plush and fragrant firmament. But here is enough, there is enough evidence there is enough of an account here on earth to begin to imagine what is to be my sister. I carried nearly 30 years of us in memory, in verse, in laughter, in weeping, in joy, in prayer. Thank you for the safety and sanctity of our cerebral girlhood, one in which we could sit and dream from Thornhill Elementary School bench, disinterested in the callous palms of monkey bars and the sting of the kickball. We talked Jeopardy. We talked house party one, two, and three. You called to tell my mother where in the world as Carmen Sandiego made a false claim about Sierra Leone. Since 1995, my mother deemed you my smartest friend, but said we talked too much, so put us on a weekly phone schedule. I'm still thankful for our book swaps, from goosebumps to super fudge to the secret exchange of those 17 and YM magazines my immigrant folks thought too grown for me. Thank you for my safe passage into the gift of my own American blackness, for the way you never made fun of me for the blankness of my cultural map, but instead rendered my unknowing a space of possibility. How you guided me through Stevie Wonder's songs in the key of life, playing Sir Duke over and over until every trill, riff and run in the old folded into me among my first lessons in poetry. Thank you for joining me in my first generation Americanness, learning Creole to understand my homesick grandmother and tearing up jollof rice with me and singing Kanda Bongo Man's Bellamy like it wasn't a thing. You, my sister, are the makings of home, of belonging. You are all that vanquishes solitude. My sister, this was and will forever be you. Always poet of the soul, bathing delight in detail and light, bringing dignity to the broken, bringing water to the afflicted, like the times you put me on hold to pay for the food of strangers on the streets of Oakland, of Berkeley, of San Francisco, of Durham, like the times you stood by the side of your friends who were deemed worthless by their own blood, you opened arms, a human sanctuary to envelop them in a thick love, both honeyed and intentional. My sister, my sister, your legacy, be hollowed, be whole, be bold, behold your sacred path, the blueprint you left for a betterment that which we would be wise to hold in hand. My sister from on high, your light still overcomes any dark paths. Every daybreak is you, my sister, my sister Chanel, every day you come back. Thank you, Yaley. That's a beautiful poem. Thank you both. Thank you both for, for this time that you guys have spent with me and with everybody that is listening to this podcast. This um, has been since the beginning of the conversation, but even more while listening to your poet, to your poems, not only an intellectual, but also a spiritual experience. I do believe that there is uh, a connection that poetry brings uh, in that realm to every to every human. And I want to ask you now: What are your hopes for the city of Cincinnati? What do you hope for the many communities that come from the city? And then, um, then I'm going to ask you about your future plans and what can we know about you in the future. My hope is that we take the diversity, equity, and inclusion model and add another piece, which is differences. And we allow people to come in 
and bring those differences into our programming, into every facet of everything that we do, that we allow people to, you know, accept their opinion, change the way you've been doing it. Don't just invite me in to do the same thing you're doing, but change the way because I'm bringing my experiences in as well. Mm. So that's major for me. That is, that is yeah. important. Thank you. Well, Thank you. Daily, what do you hope for our city? A lot of different things. But I think one thing that keeps on coming to mind is, is um, amplification of the voices of young people in the city. And I don't mean voice for the voiceless. I don't mean that at all. I mean, literally listening to the brilliance of young people in the city. Um, I got a chance to work with students at Hughes and students at Dawn on haikus. And the way that they understand the world and the depth of their knowledge and their experiences and their brilliance is something that I think the whole city would benefit from listening to. And so I think um, perhaps I'm thinking also about intergenerational exchange as well, but there's a lot that our young people have yes. to share. And um, they, we, they're incredibly wise, incredibly wise, and they've inherited a, a very strange world. And in spite of that, I think they're, this generation I think far more than even my own generation is a generation that wants everybody to sit at the table, every single person. And to your point, Mo, poetry about d differences, there is a celebration of that that I see that is so um, so radical and mind-blowing mm -hmm. that these young people are like, no, this should be normalized. This should not be a phenomenon. This should not be anomalous. This should be every day. And I really appreciate that. And I, I hope that we can listen to them and, and offer them the support and the resources to um, continue to to uh, blaze our path and really get us moving to a future that we can all be proud of. Yes, thank you, thank you. I, I, I. If one of these two hopes gets to crystallize, I'll be happy. In the city of Cincinnati, I, I, I really hope that this city finds healing from many traumas that it has um, suffered. And uh, I really hope that art is part of that healing process. And speaking of art, what can you tell us about your future plans, projects? Do you want to make invitations or tell something to our audience before we finish this episode of Inside the Writer's Head? Mo, what can you tell us? Yes, so continue to look for us on hitthemikesensi.com, upcoming events. We have a lot going on, um, but I will be at Ohio University March 18th for the Appalachian Studies Association doing uh, Thriving After Survival. It's my workshop, um, as well as uh, doing a, a co-workshop with others, other leaders who are uh, doing programming in the area. And watch out for our next Survivor's Ball. Our second annual is gonna be Friday, June 23rd through the 24th. So we will be partnering and doing programming about nine workshops, open mic, and the actual ball as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, now now you guys know. Look for <laughs> Mo Poetry Phillips. Daily. 
So in the immediate future, I am really excited that there will be a Black History Month reading, um, poetry reading and conversation on the 28th of of February. And I get to spend more time with Mo Poetry Phillips and some other amazing writers um, and poets and talking more about um, just identity and poetry and artistic creation. So that's upcoming um, on the 28th. On February 18th and also March 18th, there's a Poet Laureate Office Hours at the Mercantile. So if you want to come by and talk poems, we'll have a poems by theme to think about. Also, you can bring in your own poems and we can look at those and create writing prompts. And, and it's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You are not beholden to stay the whole time. My tagline is come for a little or stay for a while. So if you have five minutes you want to dip in and talk about a poem, you can do that. If you want to stay the whole time, you're more than welcome. And those are a few things coming up. But um all my information about upcoming events. And now that I'm saying this out loud, that that I'm definitely um, must keep it updated is on www.yaylala.com for more upcoming events. Thank you. And you guys should go, if every if anyone that is listening is in Cincinnati and can go to the office hours of Yaley, you should go. It's, it's a luxury to have her uh, reading and talking about your own work. And if someone cares to come to my office hours as uh, right in a residence for the Cincinnati Hamilton County Library. You can also go to the website of the Public Library of Cincinnati and check those office hours too. You can come to both. We are never on the same day at the same time. Um, thank you, Yaley. Thank you, Mo Poetry Phillips. This has been a very stimulating, interesting, beautiful conversation. I am honored uh, by your presence in this inaugural episode of my season of Inside the Writer's Head. And I cannot say thank you enough. And I also say thank you to all the people listening. Um, let's keep talking about all of these subjects. This conversation is always starting and always ongoing. Thank you so much. And see you in the next episode of Inside the Writer's Head. Thank you.